So we're going through the book of Acts. And we are in Acts 13, and I'm going to read 44 through 52. So it says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For the, So the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Saul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So Paul here continues to try to reach the Jews with the gospel because the Gentiles must not have the gospel brought to them until the Jews have refused it. If you go back and look, it's in, in verse 48 says, when, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad to glorify the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now, uh, many translations, they say appointed to eternal life. People say, oh, some are appointed for heaven and some are appointed for hell. That's a, that's not a good interpretation. A, a better interpretation is all who were disposed to eternal life believed. I mean, all who were inclined or willing to accept eternal life believed. That word is disposed, right? And if you take in, in if you look at verse 46, right? It said, the Jews rejected it. So we see free will. We see the free will here. Jews rejected it. So now they're going to the Gentiles. Wherever they went, they proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand. They preached to establish faith and that men must prepare for that kingdom. They preached repentance and forgiveness of sins. They preached to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. For the Jews were God's chosen people from the beginning. If you don't know anything about the Bible in the Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people. They were his chosen people. But now they have rejected the gospel and Paul has directed how to act towards them who refuse his words. What Jesus said, whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. As a sign of indignation. It's, it's the dust of the Gentiles was defiled. And so he's saying treat that place as a place that's been polluted and defiled. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. To the Jews, theirs was no longer the kingdom of God. And it has been given to those who will receive the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because the Jews thought that heaven was their right. The Jews thought that heaven were their right. And a right is an inherent, irrevocable entitlement held by citizens... 
from the moment of birth. So we say like Americans have certain unalienable rights, right? The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've heard this before, right? That this means that the government cannot alienate those rights so far. (laughs) So far. (laughs) But heaven is not a right. Heaven is a privilege. And a privilege is a certain entitlement to immunity granted by an authority to a restricted group on a conditional basis. I'm privileged. A restricted group on a conditional basis. See, heaven is a kingdom to a restricted group of people. Only those in Christ. And the condition of that is of love and obedience to Christ. So we have a restricted group of those in Christ and on condition of continuing to love and obey Jesus. This is a foundation of Christianity. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Not all paths lead to heaven. Not all good people are going to heaven. And it's it's a sobering thought. Because many even within the church think, well, I'm I'm okay. I'm good. I've been more I'm I'm a moral person. And the servant of Christ is an ambassador to wherever he is sent. And our message is to the vilest of sinners and to the most upright and seemingly moral person. Because we don't get to decide heaven's citizens. And all lives are at stake. This is something that Paul knew. And we are to pray for all and to conduct ourselves courteously to all. And the whole counsel of God must be declared and to those who will not receive this gracious message must be shown that their state is dangerous. And this should be seriously laid to the heart by all that hear the gospel. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. He said, we must give more earnest heed To those things that we have heard, lest we drift away. It's that drifting away is a nautical term, and Paul uses it several times when he when he talks about missing the mark. It's a nautical term. It's a ship that, in the middle of the night, will drift past its safe haven and will hit rocks. It's destruction. And we are also directed how to act to those who refuse the counsel of God. Shake the dust off your feet. 
All right, let's get into this. There's my introduction. What does this mean? What does this mean to us? Heaven is a real place and so is hell. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a place, you know, with marshmallow clouds and I'm going to ride my Harley. And certainly isn't a place, and hell isn't certainly a place where you're going to go and party with the devil all night. Revelation 24 through 7 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall no more be no more pain. Oh, For the former things have passed away. And then he sat on the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes, overcomes, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Right? What a beautiful passage of scripture, a, d- a description of heaven for the one who dies in Christ. That's what it means to overcome is that you live your life to the end. Confessing Christ, living for Christ, following Christ to the end of our life. For the one who dies in Christ, I remember I was sitting on a, a hospital floor with a woman whose, whose husband just went through a 14 hour heart surgery. He had a, a, a ruptured aorta and uh, the, the, uh, the doctor said he's, he's just not gonna live. And we waited and stuff and he didn't live. But be, before we found out he even lived, I, I was late getting to the hospital cause I was watching her son and someone else came to relieve me and I got, and I got there. She was calling for me. She kept calling for me to come to the hospital. Will you come? And as soon as I walked in, she just looked at me and she goes, give me heaven verses. And my, my first thought was like, what the heck is she talking about? And she knows I memorized scripture, you know, and she said, Give me heaven verses. And so I said, I has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for them who love us. If I, if I go away, I prepare a place for you in my father's house. It's many rooms. And she just began weeping. She wanted to hear about heaven because her husband was in Christ and he was fixing to pass over into another place. And that's such a great assurance. But I thought, I've also been by the bedside of somebody that I knew didn't know the Lord. That I drove all the way down to Portland to be by their side to share the Lord with them. And I walked in the room and my aunt said, they don't want you talking to them about God. And I said, that's what I'm here for. So I'm leaving. I'm not here to bring you comfort. I'm here to bring them to the Lord before they pass over. And so if heaven is true, the opposite is true. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 25 and he says this and cast the unprofitable servant. Notice he said servant, not lost. He says, servant, into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, hell is referred to and as weeping and gnashing of teeth seven other times in the New Testament. It's a place of torment. 
It's not a fun place. It's not, it's not a place where you get to go party with the devil and rock, rock all night. That's what we used to say, you know, I was, I was, I was, you know, I was one of those crazy rocker kids and, you know, I had the big hair and we're going to party with the devil. Yeah, we're going to rule in hell. Cool. What did I say? Lord, forgive me my ignorance for the things that I said back then. It's a place of torment. And it's real. It's not, it's not something we just tell our kids to make them go to bed early. You know, uh, Chupacabra is going to get you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's a place of torment. And you, you better believe it. And you better live like it. And you better share it. Why? Because heaven is not for everyone. It's a place of privilege. And the kingdom of God is Christ's kingdom. It has restricted access. So I said, heaven is not like, you know, uh, what was that movie? Uh, things, what things may come with, you know, Robin Williams. You remember that crazy movie? It was like, oh, in this heaven and he's floating through. It was like taffy. And, you know, I was like, what is going on here? You know, and we, we get these ideas of, oh, what this is what heaven's going to look like and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's Christ's kingdom. Yeah. 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 It's not to go and play our harp on the cloud. And that's not a harp, but whatever. <laughs> you know. <sighs> it's his kingdom. Where Christ rules and reigns. So if Christ isn't your Lord, there's no sense in even going to his kingdom. Because heaven is Christ's kingdom. It's his kingdom where he rules and he reigns. So if we, if we don't have him doing that now on our life, why do we want to go to a place where he is ruling and reigning? It's his kingdom. He rules. He reigns. So there are things that will shut us out of heaven. The first one being, you must be born again. You must be born again. The spirit of God must reside inside you. It's the seal that we belong to God. That Holy Spirit is the seal that we belong to him. And the Bible says, John said that uh, the wind, Jesus said in John 3, the wind blows where, where it wants to and you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. So is everyone born of the Spirit. There's a transformation that happens when people are born of the Spirit. You can't just have an encounter with God. He's got to be on the inside. Lots of people have encounters with God. Lots of people met Jesus. They even followed him. But then they turned away. Christ talks about the parable of the sower sowing the seed. And he says, there's a few seeds that are, first of all, some that aren't received and some that receive and they endure for a while, but then they, they go away. So they have an encounter with God and it's a beautiful encounter with God because God is drawing people to him at all times. And I've seen people come in and even be fallen under the power of the Holy Spirit and be moved of God. I've seen people.
people, I've seen brain tumors healed of God. And then they walk out and you never see them again. Well, I, I'm good. No. You had an encounter because God is good. Because God is good that he healed you. Because God is good he met you here at the altar. And he's been working on you. And he wants your life. But nothing's changed because you've never really surrendered. You were never born again because you never really repented. You must be born again. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You cannot live a continual life of disobedience and sin. This is a condition for heaven. In 1 John 2, 1 through 7, it says, My little children, these things I write unto you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk as Jesus walked. Brethren, I write no new commandments to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. He said, this is this has always been. It's a, it's an old commandment. It's nothing new. He's like, this is nothing new. I, I'm telling you this. I'm, I'm, I'm reaffirming the old word. Right? And John tells us that we should not sin. You know, and, and the, the Lord really revealed this to me. Um, there's, 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 there's two works of grace. And the first work of grace is the person that's completely lost in your sin. And God comes down and he says, I will forgive you. And he draws you in and he will forgive you if you repent. And, and he cleans up your life and he makes you new and he sets you upon a rock. He does this beautiful thing in your life. But then the second work of grace is after you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what he told Paul. My grace is enough. It's the power to now not fall back into sin, but continue to walk and overcome. It's the power to not go back, but to move forward. And when times get hard and when you feel squeezed and when you feel afflicted, he says, my grace is enough for I will give you strength through that. And you will have strength to overcome. And so John says we should not sin. So he tells us you don't have to sin. Use the power of God before you sin. He says, but if you do, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. So what he's saying here, he says that if you do happen to fall into sin, you shake yourself off, you ask the Lord for forgiveness, and you keep on going. You don't fall and fall back. You keep on going. And the difference is, is whether or not sin is your lifestyle. First John 3, 6, and I use the Amplified here because it really expounds on these words really good. It says, no one who abides in him, who abides in Christ, who lives in that and remains in that communion with him and in obedience to him, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commits sin. 
means that they live a lifestyle of sin. No one who habitually sins has seen him or known him. So he says, he's telling them, you don't really know him no matter what you say if you continue a life of sin. You might have had an experience with him. You might have had a huge encounter with God, but it didn't do anything in your life. It didn't do anything in your life. And we must crucify our flesh. And here is the problem with continual sin in our life is that sin is lies and deception. And so when we entertain sin and entertain sin and entertain sin, we begin to operate in deception. When we begin to operate in deception, our heart becomes hard. When our heart becomes hard, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We can no longer hear the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit and he's gone. It's a process. Why he said, don't, don't do these things. Don't, don't go this way. God's, God's not some big, you know, angry God in the sky that's saying, I told you not to sin. He's like, you don't understand. Sin is destruction and it will destroy your life. And it will rob you of everything good. Revelation 21, 8 says, but the cowardly, that's, that, that one always scares me. Cause it means, means those that are fearful. They're not bold. They're, they're afraid of men. They, they fear men more than they fear God. But the cowardly is right next to the unbelieving. Isn't that interesting? The abominable, the murderers, we, we would expect that, but the sexually immoral, sorcerers, yeah, kind of idolaters. Oh, but all liars have their place, their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's why I tell you that continual sin does not lead to eternal life. It leads to eternal death. It leads to eternal death. The third thing you must do is we must use the gifts and talents that's been given us. Because that Matthew parable, it's the parable of the talents. And perhaps some of you have heard this parable where the, the master gave one man four, uh, four talents, two talents, and one talent. Right? And so he says, I'm going to go away. When I come back, I want to see what you've done with those talents, right? The first guy, he goes and he gets four more. The second guy goes and he gets two more. The other guy goes with his one and he just buries it. He buried his talent. Now, listen, these were servants of the master. This is us. This is the church. This is not the lost. And, and he calls this servant unprofitable. It means useless. And he calls him wicked and lazy. It carries with the idea of a person who has a do-nothing, lethargic, lackadaisical, apathetic, indifferent, uncommit, uncommitted attitude toward life. And guess what these are all synonyms for? Lukewarm. It's all synonyms for a lukewarm person. See, Jesus uses parable to tell us what he expects from us, that we are to use what he has given us. 
the, 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 there's no good work you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing you can do. Amen. So don't think I'm up here preaching works. I don't believe in that. There's nothing I can do for salvation. There is nothing I can do. A, a lot, when you guys read the New Testament, a lot of these books, what you don't understand is a lot of the, a lot of the books that Paul wrote to the, the churches, they'd had, uh, Jewish people in them and Gentile believers, right? And so he's trying to get the Jews not to fall back to the ordinances of the law. He's like, you guys are falling back to that, trying to keep these laws that don't mean anything. And then the Gentiles were living, they're going back to their pagan sin, sinful ways. And he's like, you guys now, you guys need to come over here a little bit, right? So he's trying to, he's trying to work with these two groups of people, trying to find this middle ground of just walk in the Holy Spirit. Don't go back to sin. Don't go back to works. Just walk in the Holy Spirit. Just walk in the Holy Spirit. Walk according to my word. Walk according to my ways. And and the things that God asks us to do are always by his power. It's according to the spirit and power of God. It's not within me. It's what God has given me. And so when God has given me talents and I bury them, how am I using what God's given me? In Revelation 3, 14 through 17, a lot of people know this, and to the angel of the church of Laodicea, this is a very common thing. These things says the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Listen to this. He says, I know your works. The unprofitable servant, worthless, lukewarm. You did nothing with what I gave you. I know your works. They are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of your mouth. He says, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. These are Christ's words. I'm just the messenger. I didn't write this stuff. These are Christ's words to the church. The church of the living God. That he sacrificed his own blood for. And he's saying these things and he says, repent because your condition is bad. You're in a bad condition. And if you don't repent, now the the crazy thing to me is that they had to be told. They didn't know they were lukewarm. And I'm like, wow, lukewarm people don't even know they're lukewarm. So if someone tells you and looks at you and say, man, you're lukewarm, you better listen. You, you should listen to that. Our first response is to Jesus, not to man. Amen. Paul preached the whole world word and counsel of God with boldness. The whole word. The whole counsel of God. In Acts 24, we'll get to this in a while. I don't know. A couple more months probably. A year, yeah. Acts 24, 24, and 25. And this is Paul. And uh, he's in prison here. And Felix comes to visit him with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned, this is Paul. Paul reasoned about righteousness. This is what I told you about walking in the spirit, not walking according to our flesh, not walking according to sin. That's what righteousness is. About self-control. Oh, self-control. That's a fruit of the spirit. Paul preached on that. That he was talking to an unsaved person about self-control and righteousness and what? Oh, the judgment to come. 
We're so, oh, I just want to tell people God loves them. Well, that's not what Paul did. Paul didn't do that at all. He spoke about righteousness. He said he reasoned. He probably had huge discussion about this. He's like, listen, this is life or death. He reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And Felix was afraid. Go away. When I have a more convenient time, I will call for you. And this means you must know what God's word says. And yes, God holds you responsible to do what God asks. Not He holds me responsible for me, but he holds you responsible for you. Um, I, you know, I, I was at Target, this was a while ago, and there was a, a Muslim lady there, and, uh, the, she was, she was checking, she was the checker, right? So she's checking out people at Target and stuff. And the lady in front of me had some stuff, and she had a thing of hot dogs. And Muslims aren't allowed to touch pork, right? So the Muslim lady, right, when, when the hot dogs came up, she moved, another lady came to do the checkering, did the hot dogs, put them in the bag, and then the Muslim lady came back and continued to check out. And I thought, here's somebody that's so faithful to a pagan religion and a pagan God, and and, and Christians can't even show up to church on a Sunday. I'm... I'm Going boating. Got camping this weekend. Gonna do this. Gonna do that. And we serve the living God. The living God. We have the truth of God's word. And life and death depends on it. Eternity depends on it. And we are so afraid of what other people think about us. And it's cowardly. It's cowardly. Proverbs 24, 11 through 12 says, Deliver those who are drawn away to death and those who totter to the slaughter. Hold them back from their doom. For if you, if you profess in ignorance and say, Well, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs and ponders the heart perceive and consider it? And he who guards your life, does he not know it? And shall not he render to you and every man according to his works? There's, there's more scripture like that. I'm just using that one. Talks about your responsibility. So we do not write the law. That's God's job. I did not write this. I just tell you what it says. We don't even enforce the law. That's the spirit's job. God wrote it. The spirit enforces it, but we are to share what it says. And we are to share what God says, that there's blessings for obedience and the consequences of disobedience. And every one of us are free to make a choice. But you are not free from the consequences of your choice. And we want to be able to give someone all the information so they can make a wise choice. We want to give them all the information. And lastly, you better guard your heart and your salvation for your eternity depends on it. Shake the dust off your feet. There's actually people that you are not to be in relationship with. 
Titus 3, 10, 11 says, as for a man who is factious, a heretical sectarian and cause of division. So this is a person that comes in causing division in the church. He said, after admonishing him a first and second time, reject him from your fellowship and have nothing to do with him. Being well aware that such a person has utterly changed. He's not in Christ anymore. Says he's perverted and corrupted. He goes on sinning, though he is convicted of guilt and self-condemned. First Corinthians 5, 9 through 13 says, I wrote to you my epistle not to keep company with the sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would have to literally come out of the world. That's what he says. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. He says, don't even eat with such a person. For what I have to do is judging those who are also outside. Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. You know, I had a conversation with a Christian one time, a Christian. And they were living with somebody. And I said, uh, and I and I just told him, I said, you're you're living in sin. You're in a sinful position. You're living in sin. And they said, well, how do you figure? And I said, well, you're living with someone you're not married to and you're having sex with them. That's sin. And they said, well, God made me a sexual person. If he didn't want me to have sex, he shouldn't have made me this way. I said, wow. Go ahead and tell God that on judgment day. The, the reason that, that sexual immorality is so bad, there's a few reasons. The first thing is, is that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It defiles your temple. The second thing it does, it robs the person of their purity before God. So now you're defiling your temple and you're robbing someone else of their purity before God. And now you're an affront to God. And, and the thing, the thing that a lot of people don't understand is marriage is a beautiful covenant of Jesus and the church. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus and the church. And so God holds marriage in such high esteem. Jesus doesn't sleep with his fiance, not even fiance, his, you know, side chick. Otherwise, the church would be a side chick. Second Timothy three, one through five. Just think about that for a minute. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, denying its power. And from such people turn away, shake off the dust. There's a reason God said have nothing to do with these people. And I get asked this question a lot. They're like, well, how do we know? Well, have you done your part? 
Have you told them everything and made them well aware of what's going on in their life? Have you showed them what the word says? Have you taken someone else and say, here, talk to them about this? Have, have they showed you what the word said? Have you told them the consequences? And if they refuse, that's when you say, okay, I can't have anything to do with you. And you must have discernment. Right? And, and Pastor Steve preached on this, but, and there is a gift of discernment, but also discernment comes through exercising the word of God in your life. Look at Hebrews 5.14. It says, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews 4.1 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is a discerner. So we've got to apply the word of God. We have to exercise the word in our life so that we can discern what is good and what is evil. And this word exercise, it's interesting Paul is writing in the Greek here, and it's, it's, it's actually means training for Roman games. So he's like exercising. You're not just out like, you know, just walking. I'm on a walk. I'm exercising. No, you're like, you know, what, you know whatever. I mean, you're exercising, right? You're exercising the word in your life so you can discern what is good and what is not good. What is of God and what is not of God. What is good and what is evil. A discerning person is disciplined in the word of God. You won't have discernment without discipline. You have to apply the word so much to your life, exercising your senses, lining up thoughts and emotions, uncovering your heart and applying and obeying the word of God. When the word says, do this, you do that. Crucify your flesh. When the word says, don't do this, you don't do that. And you crucify your flesh. And if you're young in the faith, it is way, it is muy, 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 muy importante. To be in relationship with somebody that can show you and instruct you. This is why we have church. This is why we have small groups. This is why we have Bible studies and prayer nights. This is why we do those things. So we can train you and we can bring you along. I'm going to instruct you until you can walk on your own. You can't expect someone to just figure it out. They need help. That's what we do all you can in helping them and in, in leading them. Life, lives depend on it. So I saw, I'm going to end with this. I saw, uh, on the other day on, on Facebook, <laughs> one of my Facebook friends, <clears throat> I haven't seen her in years, but she said something about <clears throat> the, the shopping line Nazi was out. And so I'm, I'm reading what she said. I'm reading all the comments and everything, you know. So she was going through the store and she had an app where she could write down all her apps and she counted all her apps on her phone, right? She had 22 items. Okay? 
She had 22 items. She knew how many items she had. She went into the line that said 20 items or less. She stood in line. When she got up there, she took out her stuff. And the lady started counting and she said, you have more than 20 items. And she started throwing a fit. She's like, you're going to check me out and blah, 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 whatever. You know, and then she has the nerve to write on Facebook and uh, and she's, I'm feeling annoyed. You know, that little annoyed symbol. She thought, well, it wasn't 40. But on that, on that day, you're not getting to heaven if you have 22 items. If it says 20 items or less, God is serious about his word. And we, we don't take rules serious. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. 22 items doesn't apply to me. I didn't have 40. It applies for you guys. She knew how many she had. She counted how many she had. She got in the line that said, don't stand in this line. And then the lady counted and said, you're over the limit. She knew. Now you've been told. And you know. You know. Through the preaching of the word and the word of God, through people around you and people that have spoken to your life, you know. John 3.36, and he who believes in, has faith in, clings to, relies on the Son, has possessed, has now possesses eternal life. But whoever disobeys, is unbelieving toward, refuses to trust and disregards, or is not subject to, remember I said, the heaven is his kingdom. If you're not subject to him, he's not your king. The son will never see life, but instead the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on that person. Russ, will you play for a little bit? I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to that message tonight. And if you have never repented of your sins... Tonight is a, a, there's an opportunity right now. I want you to come up and I want, someone will come up and pray for you. You need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. You must be born again or you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You will not. If you're continuing to live a life of sin, you need to ask him right now to forgive you. And you need to turn away because repenting is turning away. And just like that lukewarm church, Jesus said, just repent. I counsel, I counsel of you to buy from me those things. He said, just repent. If you've been lukewarm in your faith, just repent. That's all God wants. He said, just look to me and ask forgiveness from me and I will restore you. And I will make you new and I will make you whole and I will set you upon a rock. And I will bless your life. No man can snatch you out of my hand. And you follow him. Uh, and I'm serious, you need to, you better get rid of the sin in your life. If you don't repent, you're you're going to be lost. Don't think that you continue to live a life of sin and claim Jesus Christ. It's not going to go good for you on that day. 
I can give you numerous, numerous, numerous scripture to show you what God says about it. And his, he is here right now. And we are in a time of grace. We are in a dispensation of grace where God is choosing to be kind to you and his wrath is not upon you. But if you die without it, you will fall under the wrath of God. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you for this word tonight, Lord. And I ask that just take root in our heart, Father, and that we would we would remember this word, God. Even as we go home tonight, we remember your word, God, that was spoken. And we take it to heart, Father. And we deliver those that are on their way to destruction, Father. Let us be bold in our witness, God, to deliver those. Let us be bold in our faith, Father. Give us strength for the journey, God. Give us grace for the journey and grace to overcome, Father. And we just thank you and praise you for all things, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Get your kids. Thank you for watching the Faith and Victory live stream. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check us out online at faithandvictory.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and we'd love to connect with you there. If you'd like to financially support Faith and Victory Church's ministry, please text FAVC to 77977. God bless you and keep you. From the FVC Live Team.